the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us now. Here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Well, it's good to be with you today. We continue our study in the book of Romans, and I will have to tell you that the text that we're going to look at today, I have probably written and rewritten this sermon four or five times, and I told Julie on the way over here this morning, I can't wait to see what we're going to discover together today. I don't know. Every time I look at it, there's a new word that we need to pay attention to, but these are powerful words for us. The Apostle Paul writing to the churches or church there in Rome really focuses on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul understands something very important. To really understand how good the good news is, you got to understand the bad news. And so Paul does what often we don't do. He, he begins by focusing on the bad news. And he focuses on sin and the penalty of sin and the punishment for sin. He talks about the wrath of God and the fact that we are all under the wrath of God and that there's nothing we can do about it and that the wages of sin is death. And and he allows us to recognize that we are all sinners separated from God and there's not anything we can do about the sin problem that is ours. And it's against that backdrop that Paul allows us to recognize the light of the gospel. So he doesn't back away from showing us the dark side of the bad news so that he can build his case for the good news that is available for us in Christ. So let's pick up where we left off last time we were together in chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading with verse 24. Now, Paul, last time we were together, says the wrath of God is revealed. He had talked about the righteousness of God revealed. Last time we talked about the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? How is it revealed? Why do we deserve it? We talked about and answered those questions last time. So Paul focuses on the wrath of God, the dark side that we need to pay attention to, that we are all sinners separated from God, all under the wrath of God. And, and he talks about, he's talking to Gentiles and to those who have no relationship with God. And he's saying it's from that backdrop that our world exists. And in fact, his description of the bad news really kind of helps us understand why the world's in the mess it's in. What we're going to discover today is what Paul describes really is a picture of our world with a view separate from God. So beginning with verse 24, he makes this word, therefore, well now, wait a minute. If we begin in verse 24 where he says, therefore, he's connecting us to what has been said before that. I always tell you, when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you ask yourself the question, what is it there for? It connects us to what has happened. So why don't we do this? Let's back up to verse 23, pick up a little of what Paul is talking about, and then proceed in verse 24. And he says, or in verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of the form of corruptible man, of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity 
so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function of a woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a deprived mind to do the things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinances, the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give heartily or hearty approval to those who practice them. Now, this is a powerful passage of Scripture. In fact, I, I recognize that in the text before us, Paul begins to talk about the condition of man's heart. He, he says, first of all, that, that, that we have denied the evidence that God has given to us. And we have, in willful ignorance, repressed the truth. God has revealed himself, as we saw last time we were together, in nature, on the outside, in conscious on the inside, so that every one of us know there's something more to life than this. There is something out there. And he says, rather than pursuing that question to, to find an answer and discover that truth, we have repressed the truth in ignorance. Paul said, we have an ignorance. We profess ourselves to be wise, but we have become fools. But it's, it's not an innocent ignorance. It's a guilty ignorance. It is that we choose not to know God. We don't know God because we don't want to know God. I choose not to look in that direction. He says from there, we have replaced God. We have replaced God with ourself. We have taken God's place on the throne of our life to make life about us. And he says the process that brings that about is that our, in our thinking we become futile, foolishness in our heart and in our hearts they are darkened and we become fools. So now Paul says, okay, this is what man does. He exchanges the glory of God 
for images of God. He exchanges the truth of God for lies. Now, every one of us know what exchange means, right? It's when grandma gives you that ugly sweater at Christmas. And you take it back to the department store where she bought it. And you turn it in to get something you want, right? That's what exchange is. But what it really means is this. I am taking what another person wants for me. And I'm exchanging it for what I want myself. And Paul says we've done the same thing with God. We have taken what God wants for us and we have exchanged it for what we want. That really is what sin is. It is, it, it is coming to a place where we recognize or, or we refuse to believe that what God wants for us is good and what God wants for us is best. And because I refuse to believe that what God wants for me is good and best, I choose what I want and I think what I want is good and best. And so here, Paul says, is the awful results of that. The result of exchanging the truth for a lie. The result of exchanging the glory of God for myself is that God, he uses these terms in a harsh way, God gives us up, he says. He gave them up, a judicial term. It, it literally means this, that, that the first wave of God's wrath on us is to give us what we want. And God says, all right, if you want to exchange what I want for you for what you want, fine. Then you will suffer the consequences for that decision. And the wrath of God is allowing us to suffer the consequences for that decision. It's how I titled the sermon today, what my mom used to say to me when I was a kid. If you make your bed, you're going to sleep in it. You make decisions, you're going to suffer the consequences. And what we find is God saying, hey, you choose to exchange what I have for you for what you want. And you suffer the consequence. And Paul gets pretty specific in the consequences. And in doing so really helps us understand why the world's in the mess it's in. Have you ever wondered why our world is in the mess? How did we get here? Well, look at what Paul says. He says, when you exchange the glory of God for self, when you exchange the truth of God for a lie... There is, he says, first of all, a sexual exchange that takes place. Now, Paul offers de a detailed description here uh, of this sexual perversion that's a result of the exchange. Now, all I have to tell you, in, in studying this passage of Scripture, I've, I've discovered that teachers make one of, I believe, two mistakes when we look at this passage of Scripture. The first mistake that I think some people make is that they just ignore this altogether and pretend the Bible doesn't say it. 
or they make excuses for it and, and go over it. Well, he doesn't really mean that. He's not really talking about that. The other extreme is that there are some who make the entire passage of Scripture all about this. I mean, Paul's going to use homosexuality as an, as an example of that exchange. And a lot of people believe this entire passage we just read is all about homosexuality. But it's much broader than that. In fact, what Paul is doing is drawing from his own experience. Rome was a horrible place at the time that Paul was writing. It was a seed of sin. Homosexuality was rampant in Rome. Many of the emperors of Rome were practicing homosexuals. And Paul draws from that culture to say, here is a perfect example of what the exchange of, of, of self, uh, of God to self, the exchange of the glory of God for self in the exchange, this is what it looks like. And so he uses this as an example in this particular text as an illustration of exchanging God's plan for my own. He said, this is an example. God has a plan and I say no to God's plan. I want my way. Now make no mistake. Listen to me carefully. Make no mistake. The Bible clearly teaches that any sexual relationship apart from that of a husband and wife in the covenant relationship of marriage is a sin. Now, even as I say that, I have to drill deeper to say the Bible says that any sexual relationship outside the covenant relationship of marriage, now we've got to talk about what does the Bible mean by the word marriage? Well, according to the Bible, marriage is a covenant relationship that can be entered into and is experienced between a man and a woman. Not a man and a man, not a woman and a man, but a man and a woman. And it's clear in Scripture. And isn't it interesting that we've got to drill even deeper? Because... Our foolish mind has been darkened and professing ourselves to become wise, we become fools. We live in a world today where people don't even know how to define a man and a woman. I mean, when a Supreme Court justice can be asked a question, what is a woman and her say, I, I don't really know how to define that. Then, then all of a sudden you see how our, our minds have been darkened. Professing ourselves to be wise, we become fools and we exchange the truth of God. God says, okay, you're going to be born a, a, a male. And, it, and it's, listen, it's simple. And I know that, that it may be graphic to you, but I grew up in the country and, and, and when the dog had a litter of puppies... And you wanted to know if it's a boy puppy or a girl puppy, you just picked the puppy up and turned them upside down and looked. It was pretty obvious. This is a boy. This is a girl. But we today are saying, but wait a minute. It's more complicated than that. What if I choose to be a girl or, 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 or I identify as a, as a man and we live in a world and this is what Paul says you have exchanged God allowed you to be born this way you know what God said this is my design for you 
This is what I want for you. And you have taken what God said I want for you and you have exchanged it for what you want. And God says, okay, if you want to do that, then I, I, listen, you need to understand that everything I have for you is for your good. And everything I have for you is, for your, for, is to benefit you. And if you choose your way as opposed to my way, it breaks my heart you made the choice because it's going to lead to tough times in your life. And you're not going to experience the best of what I have for you. So in that passage of scripture, Paul very clearly says that any sexual relationship out of the, the covenant relationship of marriage, as God defines marriage, any sexual relationship out of the covenant relationship of marriage is a sin. And we live in a world today that says, well, that's wrong and it's mean and it's hateful you to, to say that that is sinful if I make these choices. Listen, the most loving thing I can say to you is that this is a sin because the good news of the gospel is there's forgiveness for sin. There's hope and there's help. And when God says you're a sinner, the, the good news is he's paid the price for your sin and you can be forgiven, you can be restored. And if we leave it anywhere else, we're doomed to suffer the consequences of those decisions. And so Paul says, I want to tell you something, when we make those decisions, there are consequences that happen and impact our life sexually and we see that in the world today. But not only do I recognize this I also believe that our attitude about sexual sin can be another indication of an exchange that we make even more subtly. Research polls tell us today that the majority of young people in our world today would say that there's nothing wrong with a homosexual relationship. Christians who would say there's not anything wrong with it, it's not really a, a sin. In fact, there's nothing wrong with extramarital sexual relationships, that it's not a sin, or oral sex is not a sin, or that's not sex. And, and we live in a world that, that even within the church, there's been an exchange for what God says to what I say. And I want you to understand something. You don't get to choose. You don't have the authority to say whether homosexual behavior is right or wrong. That's not your job. God is the one that determines that. You don't get to determine whether extramarital sex is a sin. God is the one that determines that. And you and I are going to answer to God. And he has already established the reality. And when we embrace an attitude that says that lifestyle is okay, what you're saying is, I know what the Bible says. I understand, but maybe God, you know, doesn't get it. Maybe he doesn't understand. Maybe he's outdated. Maybe the Bible is behind. I'm going to exchange that for my own truth, which Paul said is a lie. And when I exchange the truth for a lie, he said, I suffer the consequences for that. Now, I know some would say, on this subject, but pastor, I believe that there's 
some people that are born that way. What, what, what about that? Um, and, and you know what I would tell you? Based on what Paul said, it doesn't matter. I mean, if a person's born, and maybe, maybe so. Maybe there are people that are born. I, I, I accept the fact that we are born with certain tendencies. There are some sins that are huge temptations for you that are not a temptation for me at all. There are some things God says don't do, and I don't have any problem with that. You struggle with it every day. So, so I think all of us may have tendencies toward certain things, so maybe that's true. But this is what Paul is saying in his text. All of us have a tendency toward sin. But we also have a choice. We have a choice. And we can choose to say, if God says it, then I'm going to accept it as best and good for me. And, and it doesn't matter how I feel. And I want to tell you something, folks. Listen, you need to learn really quick. You can't trust your feeler. So many times, well, I just don't feel like that. Don't ever make a decision based on your feeler. You can't trust your feeler. There's not a successful person on earth that got there because of their feeling. How many times have you, you just didn't feel like getting out of bed, but you got up anyway and you went to work. You didn't feel like going to school, but you did. You didn't feel like, so you, you have learned in life not to trust your feeler, but isn't it amazing when it comes to things like this, we, we wanna, well, I, I feel, don't trust your feeler. It's not up to you. And so Paul is saying, listen, there's a dark side we don't like to look at. But here's the dark side. God will allow you to choose to go against his plan. But he also says, it breaks my heart when you do. Because you're going to suffer the consequences. And there are consequences. Secondly, not only does he say that there is a sexual exchange, there's a material exchange. He says in verse 29, filled with, with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. What that literally means is we have exchanged God's plan of holiness and righteousness for, for wickedness and, and evil. We live in a world today where, where the sense of right and wrong no longer exists. And a situational ethic has emerged to say, what's right for you is not necessarily right for me. And what's wrong for me is not necessarily wrong for you. And, and the circumstances dictate what is right and wrong. And we live in a world and we scratch our head. If you see the world from the Christian viewpoint, you scratch your head to, to understand that Paul says, your foolish heart is darkened. Professing yourselves to become wise, you become fools. Material things become the center of the universe. It's what he said when he says you worship the creation rather than the creator. And you give your entire life for the almighty dollar. And we step on and hurt others in pursuit of our own greed and selfishness and self-centeredness. And the attitude of the world today is can all, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. 
And, and the attitude of God is, is the exact opposite. And the freedom that he offers, and so many of us are in the bondage of materialism because you never get enough. You can never have enough, and it never brings real security because even when you get what you think will be enough in your nest egg, the stock market crashes and you begin to worry again because your hope is there and not in him. And he says, when you begin to put all of your trust, you exchange the truth of God for a lie. There's a material exchange that takes place and you begin to worship the creation rather than the creator. And as a result of that, greed and depravity, self-centeredness, selfishness begins to take over your heart and that becomes a picture of who you are. He says not only that, there is a social exchange that happens. He said envy and murder and strife, gossips, malice, slanderers, deceit, Facebookers, Snapchatters, tweeters, cyberbullies, When we exchange the truth of God for a lie, we put a spin on everything and we become people who envy and strife is the watchword of the day. I mean, look around at our world. We can't get along. We, we can't even disagree on things. We can't even have different opinions about things. There, there, there's a social exchange when God tells us that we're to love each other and, and live our lives for one another. And all of the one anothering that we are to do as, as we give ourselves and, and we turn everything around to become all about us. To create almost a generational anger and Bitterness. Paul said, God says, I've got so much more for you. But if you reject what I have and turn to the creation more than the creator and, and to the lie rather than the truth, then this is what's going to happen. You're going to live in a world where... <clears throat> where that's the norm, where you're afraid to walk down the street, where your information's not safe, where you're not safe. And then he goes one step further and says that not only is there social exchange and a material exchange and a sexual exchange, he said there's a spiritual exchange in verse 30. He said they're haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventing ways of doing evil. Haters of God literally means that they're hostile. That we live in a world today, they're not content with you being a Christian. I'm mad because you are. How can you believe that? How dare you believe that? 
How dare you believe that, that the choices I make are sin and all of a sudden they become hostile toward you and hostile toward God and hostile and, and all of a sudden he said, you know what, they, 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 it's not that they don't want God, they hate God and I hate everything that has to do with God. And an attitude of hatred begins to grip the heart of so many people. And, and, and arrogant. Why are they arrogant? Because they think their way is right and everybody else is wrong. And what do I do when everybody else is wrong? I just cancel you. You're not important. You don't matter. If you don't agree with me, you're, not, you're canceled. I don't even want to hear your side of it. Do you begin to understand that, that everything Paul is saying, you and I are seeing in the world around us? Paul is saying, here's, here's, here's the bad news, guys. When you begin to make those kinds of exchanges, God takes his hand off and he says, okay. As a nation, as a people, as an individual, if that's what you want to do, then you're going to suffer the consequences for the actions, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful. Inventing ways of evil. Boy, that's not a description of where we are today. And then the final thing that he mentions is this. There's a relational exchange. In verse 30 and 31. Disobedient to parents. No understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Now, if you want to know if that's a description of our world today, just ask a teacher. I've got teachers in my family. And the thing that I hear more and more and more is that children, even at a young age, are so disrespectful. And their parents support them in that. What, he's saying, listen, when, when you believe the lie instead of the truth, when you think God's way is, is not loving and right, but your way is loving and right, it's going to create a relational disorder that will cost. And it exhibits itself in the in the disobedient to parents that carries over into a disobedient to everyone else. Do you understand if my kids don't obey me, they're certainly not going to obey you. What happens is this selfishness. I have dethroned God and I have enthroned myself. Selfishness has killed good parents. Good parenting skills cannot exist in a selfish heart. Because I want to tell you something about being a parent. You've got to be selfless. You've got to make decisions as a parent that are not about you, but are about your children. And I want to tell you something. When my guys were growing up, Every selfish bone in my body did not want to discipline them because that was not fun. Every selfish bone in my body wanted to be their friend. 
And I want to tell you something, mom and dad, your kids don't need you to be their best friend. They got plenty of best friends. They only have one mom and they have one dad. They need you to be mom and they need you to be dad, not best friend. You need to stand with authority. That's true. You need to stand with authority. Selfishness is robbing us. So all of a sudden, what happens? Well, I'm not going to correct my kids because it's not fun for me, and I don't like it, and it's hard, and it's a hassle to be consistent, and I'm not going to do that. And so all of a sudden, I raise disobedient kids, and they go to school, and they're disobedient. And all of a sudden, you see what happens? God says, I've told you how to be a parent. I've told you how to be a husband. I've told you how to be a wife. I've given to you these rules that, that you are to put into practice in the relationships of your life, and I've done that for your good. And if you do that, you're going to benefit from it, but if you exchange my plan for yours, then you're going to suffer the consequences. And what is the consequences? Disobedience to parents, not understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Boy, if that's not a description of people today, disrespectful. Well, that's a description of our world. And it also kind of helps us to understand how we got there. How did we ever get to the place where we would even have the conversations that we've had together today. It's because we think we have a better plan than God. If I can put it to you in terms that might make it simple. <clears throat> you remember when you were a kid going to the playground and they had seesaws in the playground? And you get on one end and your friend gets on the other end. The interesting thing about a seesaw is that two people can't be up at the top at the same time, right? One of you has to be at the bottom, one of you has to be at the top. I think what Paul is telling us is this. If God is up, then I'm gonna be in my rightful place, <laughs> which is down. But if I'm up, then God is down. And the exchange takes place when we put ourselves in the place where God belongs and we put him in a place of insignificance. So my question to you is this, is it possible that you've done that? Is it possible that right now in your life you're on that seesaw and the things that really matter in life is you. Every decision you make is about you and what you want and what you think and what you feel. And you have allowed God to be on the bottom, you're on the top, and God says, if that's the way you want to live your life, okay. I will turn you over to that but there are consequences for what you do. Paul paints a dark, dark picture of sin because it is. But I wanna remind you, 
that he's painting this dark picture so he can show us there's hope. And we don't have to stay there. And we can come back to God and we can say, God, you're right. Your way is best. Mine's wrong. And we can do that every day. God, I've tried to take off down this road to do things on my own, and I'm messing up, and I see where it's going to take me. Forgive me. Restore me. God, I want, I want your way, your way. I, I don't want the lie. I want the truth. And today, if you find yourself in that place where you have allowed yourself to come up, maybe today's the day for you to say, God, no more. I want you to be in your rightful place. Would you bow your head with me? As we have an opportunity to kind of process what we've heard today, I hope you understand that, that everything that Paul says is, is loving. He's not condemning people. He's just simply saying, hey, guys, God has a plan and a purpose, and it's right and good, and, and you have a choice. You can choose his plan and purpose, or you can reject it, but... If you reject his plan, there are consequences. And God will sometimes say, I want you to come, I want you to come, I want you to come, but eventually he's going to say, okay, if that's the way you choose, then I will allow my wrath to be exercised on you by you getting exactly what you want. Some of us are suffering today because of our own choices. And today we can come back. We can be restored and find forgiveness. Maybe you're here and have never accepted Jesus as Savior. and We want to give you an opportunity to make that decision as well. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to have a song played. And I just want you to just bow your head and carefully look and, and, and let God speak to you in this moment. Father, I thank you for the message you've given us today. I thank you that, that the truth is so clear that we can see it. You don't beat around the bush. You don't make, make you just give it to us straight. Thank you for that. And thank you that giving it to us straight allows us to see that many of us in this room have exchanged the truth for a lie. We think we've got a better plan than you. Many of us in this room not just exchanged the truth for a lie, we've exchanged your glory for our own self. Your glory means that we are obedient to do what you tell us to do, and we've chosen to go against that. So, Father... Bring us back. Today, Holy Spirit, we ask you to forgive us and restore us in fellowship. For those that are in this room and those listening who have never accepted you as Savior, today, I pray, would be the day that they would receive you as their Savior and Lord, to know that your plan is good and right. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.